thank you for tuning in to the Attack and Release Show. My name is Matt, and I am joined today by my good friend from Nashville, Sam Moses. Sup, sup, cakes. <laughs> That's too much. Sup, cakes. <laughs> Keep it going. Sup, cakes, too much. <laughs> Keep it going so it's not Keep awkward. Keep it going. On today's episode, we are going to be getting into the discussion of how to listen like a mastering engineer. Mm-hmm. This is obviously clickbait, and mastering engineers probably don't listen much different than anyone else at home. We're just kind of paying attention to different li- things. At least on my end, that's what I, that's what I think we do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but first, before we dive into that, yeah, you want to tackle some housekeeping? I'm going to tackle it like I'm tackling a giant grizzly bear. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on, I guess. <laughs> All right, get after Housekeeping! <laughs> okay, friends, family, if you're listening, mom, hi. Is that going to be like a cavernous decline? Yes. Today, you have the gift, the opportunity... The chance, once in a lifetime chance, it'll be gone for this moment only to like, subscribe, share, comment, really most importantly, share the show with your friends and family. It really helps. Share it on social medias. That's really beneficial. And uh, if you can, leave us a star or comment on uh, the podcast app from Apple, because that really helps us move forward in the podcast world and uh really you know it only takes about 30 seconds of your time and like we give you hours upon hours of material and all i'm asking for is like 30 seconds so if you could leave a review uh, leave a comment, leave a heart, whatever, or just DM us and, and tell us you like the show or give us topics, whatever you want. We're very interactive with the community of the Attack Early Show. So, that That's it. completes housekeeping. Moving right along. Nice. Great. Moving along. Quite the friendly <laughs> grizzly bear. Yeah, you know. He's nice. Cuddly. He's nice. Anyway... <laughs> That's great. So how much music... So this is like just a personal question. Mm. How much music do you listen to outside of work? Uh, next to none. Yeah? <laughs> well, I listen... What I listen to is music that is totally out of what I work on as far as genre. So like I listen to Mozart for Babies and Baroque Classics in the morning... And then we have a French cafe music playlist we play when we're What's the difference between Mozart for babies and just like Mozart? Well, Mozart for babies is usually like very soft piano versions of the original is my comparison. Um, So it's very like, it's more soft and rounded sounding. It's almost like they had the, uh, I think it's called like the dampener pedal. Piano people, forgive me. Sorry. Pianist. Uh, it's, Bless you. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> it sounds like a warm, soft piano compared to the original versions. Um, huh. So that's my take, my hot take on it. Um, so yeah, so I listen to those types of musics uh, when I'm not working on music. And then that's pretty much it. Outside of that, like... I mean, I'm listening for like six hours a day to everybody else's stuff, which is lovely and entertaining um, and fun. But yeah, what about you, Matt? Um, kind of depends on the day. It's like, like we got like a hurricane rolling up the coast, so it's like I totally like roll down the windows, put back the top on the Jeep, and kind of crank some country going into work this oh, morning. Oh, look at you! But it's like you know that was that was more of like a vibe kind of a morning, right? Um. There's also like stupid hot humidity, but I'm like, I'm not going to be able to go outside for however long. So it's kind of like the last little bit of like sun. Mm-hmm. Um, normally at dinner, like I'll listen to music and it's kind of funny because it's like, I don't think my wife plays music while like her and the kids are at home. But it's like, as soon as I get home, I put on music and it's like, whether it's a record, the only bad thing about a record is like, if you're like eating dinner or something like that and then like 
oh, there's the, there's the 20 minutes going up, and now <laughs> i got to get up in the middle of dinner and go flip the record. So we'll normally do records like after dinner if like, yeah. kids want to like jump or dance around or something. Um, but, like during dinner, it's like, I don't know, you throw on like Apple Music or Spotify, just something I can control like from my phone. Um, but it's like the mood completely changes in the house. Like everyone just kind of like either mellows out or just kind of like falls into like a different vibe. And yeah. it's like, like, I don't know, sometimes you go home after however many hours and you don't know what you can be walking into. <laughs> and so it's like, sometimes like, it's kind of nice because it's like a little bit of a reset. Um, I used to not listen to music at all when I drove. Now I'm finding myself doing it a little bit more. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. It's I, I've always liked the Discover Weekly playlists that Spotify makes you and... On my little Spotify account, like ever since like 2015 or whatever, I uh, <laughs> I've been like any song that like inspires me or kind of pulls me out of what I'm doing, I save it and then I put it in a playlist. So I have like I don't know six years worth of playlists, and I categorize them by month. Yeah. So <laughs> some months can have like 70 or 80 songs depending on how much I listen to music, and so I'll go back through and be like, I wonder how busy I was this month or when like whatever. So. Um, so I'll do that. A fun one for you parents out there. So I have, uh, it totally ruins your Spotify metrics at the end of the year, but during like, like whatever, when I'm doing like bath time for the kids, I play like some songs from like the, that Jack Johnson album that he did for the Curious George movie. Mm -hmm. Cause my kid loves Curious George. And, uh, <laughs> I use that, like, I use the songs as, like, a timer so, like, I can kind of keep myself on time. So it's like, okay, <laughs> this song's filling up the tub. This song's mm. playing. When this song starts, we're emptying and we're uh, drying off, brushing our teeth, going to bed. And so that kind of keeps you on track. So it's like I kind of use, like, music a little bit differently. So I guess I would say, I don't know, maybe, like, 40 to 60% of the time I'm listening to music yeah. otherwise. But... um it's not normally what I get, but I don't like do that on purpose. Yeah. So I don't know. So it's like it's it's kind of it's kinda of yes, kinda of no, but I like music a lot and um I like listening to records. I like doing like all that hi fi jazz. So that's kinda of, not jazz in particular, but I do really like jazz. Yeah. Um so yeah, that's about that. So anyway. Yes. How do you like approach music. Let's just say that you are listening to like music on the radio. Yeah. When might not be the radio, might just be a Spotify or whatever. Yeah. How are you listening to music? Like when you hear a song and it's like kind of inspiring to you, what is that song doing that's making you kind of I don't know, feel inspired? It's a great question. Gives um, you the, all the feels. Yeah. I mean, I would say at this stage, something that inspires me. Honestly, at this stage, is usually something that's, in my opinion, sonically great. Um, it used to be more so on like a like a, a feeling thing, but I feel I feel like over like ten years of doing records, like now that I know what records can sound like, of course we could get into a an argument about what you know what does a good sonic record sound like. But in my opinion, things that catch my ear. Um, and this is probably over the last few years, I personally feel like there has been a drastic decline in quality um, as far as Sonics mix masters go. Uh, it has nothing to do with loudness, in my opinion. Um, it has a lot to do with, I feel like, people um, just cranking out content for the sake of content, and labels are kind of pushing that, so are social media platforms, but that's a different conversation. So the things that inspire me are usually when I'm listening to like Spotify, uh, like New Music Friday, or just I have it on shuffle based off an artist to try and find other artists. Um, and I do, I do intentionally spend time listening during my work. Like on Friday, I'll spend like at least an hour on Spotify checking out new releases or my release radar. Um, I'll usually start my day with that. I'll usually end it too with that. Um, and then over the weekend, maybe sometimes I'll just like replay stuff here and there. Um, but the things that inspire me now, as far as like what I'm listening for, is usually when it sounds really good. And by that, I mean it's like balanced, like the vocals are really nice. It has like proper low end and it sounds like a really great 
you know, either was recorded well or was saved at the mix stage or even mix master stage. Um, and it has like a really nice fullness to it. I find a lot of records uh, now have like really spitty, sibilant kind of sounds in vocals. I find the low end to be almost like non-existent. Um, there's attack of the low end, but the actual bottom end of the song is usually fully like scooped out, it feels like. Um, so what inspires me now is usually when I hear, what, in my opinion, what a great record sonically sounds like. Um, and that's obviously based on kind of my own opinion, but um, those are the things that kind of inspire me now. Um, I would say there's a lo- there's not a lot that inspires me that comes out on commercial stuff very often. Um, mm-hmm. There's honestly a lot of stuff that inspires me that I work on for my clients. Um, so shout out to my artists and mixers I work with. Like, definitely, I'm usually most inspired by what releases that I've worked on. Um, and there are a lot of talented people I work with that I feel like are making great sounding records. Um, the teams I'll say I'm a part of or that I've you know, tried to curate and be a part of different mixers and producers who allow me to be a part of their records. I feel like I've, I've sought out people who also care about the way the record sounds and also feels, but they care on some level about the fidelity of the record. Um, and it actually sounded great as as well as being a great song. So those are the those are you know I mean every like Friday when I'm with my wife like we usually will go out on Friday night for like a date night or something, and I'll usually just play my discography of what's been added to it you know and usually what's interesting when I do that whatever catches her ear, then I kind of pay attention to that. And I usually ask her, well, why do you like that song over this song? Because she'll gravitate towards certain songs that come out that I've worked on over other ones. And my wife, I've always said on the podcast, and she'll agree, I think she's like the perfect consumer. She's the typical listener consumer. So when she likes a song that I've worked on and it comes out, there's a high chance that that song will usually do well. And it's almost, it's honestly, I've, I've tracked it like the last few years of like the song she likes usually does really well um, as far as like compared to other songs. So, um, so that's kind of a little like hack I have <laughs> when I'm like, oh, my wife likes it. You know, she's listening and it caught her ear that I go back and listen to that song like in my room maybe, uh, you know, next week. And I'll kind of just go like, hmm. I wonder what is it about the song, or I'll ask her, and she'll just usually say like, "Oh, it just it's catchy," um, which is usually also you have to you have to probe more of what that means. It's catchy, um, so yeah. So that's kind of you know as far as inspiring goes, that's what inspires me. But as far as and we can get into this whenever, but as far as like how I listen to music, you know, when I'm working on it or thinking about it, that's probably different than what inspires me. So. But I'll hand it off to you for for a uh, dialogue of what inspires you, Matt. What kind of music, when you hear it, inspires you? I mean, I would definitely say that there's like a bit of a formula. Yeah. When it comes to like, like I don't know, like I was telling Sam, like I'm really into this like gold mining show recently. (laughs) That's like ten seasons deep. And like when I mean I'm into it, I mean I've gone through two seasons of like twenty episodes in a week, and. it's it's not a healthy relationship me and this show have. <laughs> and uh, like I go home and my wife's going to like be like, we need to talk. <laughs> but anyway, it's kind of like, I don't know. It's like I feel like whenever they like strike gold somewhere, it's like they're not going to go dig somewhere else and try like, oh, what if they like this? <laughs> it's like, no, they're going to dig out that hole as much as they can to fill their pockets as much as they can. So I feel like there's a formula that's, you can call it used or as overused as anyone wants to claim. Um, and I mean, you'll, you'll see like things on YouTube of like mashups or something like that. Like, like all the BPMs are the same and it's like all the chord changes are the same and you're all sticking to like some pretty simple chords, some pretty simple fills, whether it be guitar or drums and like, all right, now let's go to the, uh, Let's uh let's pitch this bridge up and uh make everyone feel real happy about what we just said again. 
And uh, yeah, last chorus, a little bit louder. Um, so I would definitely say like there's a there's a bit of a formula. I was I guess kind of making fun of country music for a second. <laughs> um, but it's like you if you get into like CCM music, you kind of like nothing to me sounds like CCM music. It's a, like it's its own thing. Yeah. And so it's like I know when like something is a CCM song because it's sounds like other CCM songs, as different as it wants to be to a degree. Um, things that like kind of inspire me though, um, I really like when like stuff kind of moves mm-hmm. and keeps you um and keeps your ear engaged. And I'm not saying like, oh, like shoot things from over here and over there and like we just did an Atmos episode, so that's or it wasn't an Atmos episode, it was a spatial, like Apple spatial audio episode. And I don't mean like in that regard. I mean like when someone gets like just really creative with like stereo information, um, that like to the degree to where like it really is keeping you engaged. Um I like music that's relatively simple, like you can get into something and you can just kind of tell it's like, man, it's like how many tracks are on this like <laughs> on this thing? It's just like this is there's so much going on. And it's like by putting more, it's like I get that some stuff has to be like that. Um, just like that's like kind of the way that people's like creative fluids are moving that day. But it's like, does it really have to be like that? Um and if if yes, then fine. But if not, then that's fine. But I'm we're talking about music that I like. So I like music that is generally like more simple. I like stuff that is like like pretty well balanced. And I mean that goes like across the like like every single genre. Um I do like stuff that like does like I don't know, that does retain dynamics, but I'm not like one of those people who's like, Oh yeah, dynamic range day with that day in April. I can't remember what day it is. Um <laughs> But it's like I'm not like for that, but I think everyone can like appreciate like a pretty solid dynamic tune. Um, something that like actually irritates me a lot, and this is like the whole thing of like you know you work like with music when it's like something that really annoys me is when somebody does something out of phase and you can just tell that it's like like that, but not on purpose. So like there is like a like an intro. This is not an example. This is like the antithesis of of. Uh, example like there was like at the beginning of this one song i was listening to like the snare was like completely out of phase and i could like even monitor it on my little like oscilloscope thing but then like when like the actual those like pre-chorus or something came in everything kind of pulled together on purpose but like they kind of did that for a meaning as like what they were singing in the beginning was like I feel like a little skewed and like supposed to like give like a bit of an awkward kind of a feel, and it really worked for that song. But like when you first hear it, you're like, oh, geez, that that, and you're like you're listening in like in front of monitors, and so it's like if something's out of phase in your studio, you generally know, and you're just like, whoa, what is what what is that? And then it pulled together, you're like, oh, that's kind of cool. I kind of like how that pulled me in. So that also ties into that movement. I like when people do like kind of like those little funny tricks. I th- I think that's why. A lot of people liked uh, um, like Billie Eilish's stuff that gets put out, and like all the creative stuff that like uh, her and Phineas put into it, and like kind of like how like intimate vocals can be and whatnot. And um, I'm not saying I'm a big Billie Eilish fan. I just I really appreciate just like kind of some of the subtle detail that they put into things while kind of leaving like some dynamic elements dynamic. Um, so, but I'm not that guy who's like, like phase is going to ruin a song. I will say I am that guy that if I do hear like a really shitty kick or a really crappy snare, I'll probably change the song. <laughs> I am, I am that guy. Um, it just, unless it's like something incredibly catchy, it's like, I, I just don't want to listen to it. Um, so, but yeah, stuff that inspires me more times than not, it's like something that has like pretty solid movement and balance and it's not just like overly cookie cutter and kind of like pulls you out of it. like I love like creative songwriting um I'm gonna butcher this dude's name it's like somebody who I've been listening to recently I think he was touring with Colony House I'm gonna pull up Spotify and my Spotify's been for some reason running slow it's just bouncing on my Mac <laughs> okay nope now it's not opening now we got the the rainbow pizza yeah, this ain't gonna work. I think his name's like Tyson, like Tyson Mossenbecker, or Ty- Tyler or Tyson Moss- Mock- Mossenbecker. I can't remember. Um, 
But if you can determine how I meant to say his name, you should go look it up. Tyson, yeah, Mostyn Bakker. Uh, he has an album out where it's kind of like him, like as a cartoon. And I was listening to that, and it's just like, this is just a really nice, really well balanced album. And it's like every song I'm listening to is like super creative um, songwriting, really creative instrumentation. Um, everything's just in the right place, just really nice. So it's like as an example, like I just thought that was pretty cool. Um, so I don't know. That's kind of that's kind of where I'm at. Okay, so as far as like, let's kind of pull away from from this, and let's kind of now zoom in a bit. That when we get a mix to master, mm-hmm. what are we like? Like, what are we listening for? Yeah. When when we get into this, um, how would you say that a quote unquote mastering engineer listens? That's a terrific question too. Uh, I can. Go, I mean, okay. I, th- I thought you were stalled. I was no, like, I, can I go have, first if you don't want. I to. have a hundred things to say about it. Uh, the first thing I want to address is like I want to briefly talk about like before you know what to listen, you have to know how to listen. I'll say. So yeah. sometimes people ask me like, "How do you listen?" You know, to train your ear essentially. And I want to give like my quick rundown of how I developed my ear. I'll say, which was a super simple thing of consuming lots of records, pulling up meters and frequency analyzers, analyzers, and analyzers, um, analyzers. and uh, you should make a plug and call the analyzer analyst. Yes, I'll write that down. Um, and just seeing what songs look like and where they register on the meter. And when I have a meter up, I'm looking at the dynamic range. Sometimes it says DR, the RMS. Um, and that's kind of it. I mean, some people like luffs too, which luffs can actually give you a good picture of probably the top end consistency between 1K and 5K. Um, depending on which LUFS meter you're using. Sometimes they have no filter on the top end, so if there's excessive top end, then it gets a little wonky. One of the reasons why I don't like LUFS. Um, but what between, the LUFS? <laughs> what the LUFS? And between RMS a mug. and dynamic range on a final song, yeah, that is a <laughs> mug with LUFS. <laughs> you can start to get a picture of what songs you know look like on the meters and what they look like visually as far as an EQ curve. Um, you'll find that most songs are not the same. <laughs> so even songs that I think sonically sound good usually are different. So I begin to pick apart uh, songs I like. Say it's, I really liked uh, the Bruno Mars 24 Karat album as far as like a pop album goes. Uh, I had really good commercial success as well, which is always a good indicator that usually the market likes it. Um, and it still sounds really good, you know, this many years later. So... Uh, people still bring it up as reference. So a record like that, what I did is I basically would drop, you know, I would drop a song into my DAW and I would filter out the frequencies. It's very simple. I would filter like 100 below and listen to uh, what is in that 0 to 100 hertz and make notes about it. Is it sub? Is it kick? What is there? Then I would go to the next section, say 100 to 200 and so forth. You can do any range you really want, but the smaller the range and the more notes you take, uh, at least for me, is super helpful to learn where things actually are in a mix. So when people uh, talk about like, oh, the kick is so punchy, usually what they're saying is the kick beater head attack sound is really loud. Um, Not so much anymore that it's like got a ton of 65 hertz. It's got actually a lot of 1 to 5K of that beater attack sound, which our ear then attaches to the sub. So when you're critically listening or learning to listen, you can put on a record and, and highlight certain areas and make a note of, oh, this is where the vocal actually lives. And another fun thing to do real quick within that is just taking away giant sections, do like a wide cue on your EQ and do like minus 10 dB or minus 15 dB in say certain areas from like 100 to 500, 500 to 1,000, 1,000 to 5K. And you can immediately feel emotion change. You can see where the song immediately falls apart and disappears. And you can kind of start to find the, I'll say, sweet spot or magic in the song. 
And now you'll get like a lot of people that'll always be like, well, the the song is in the mid-range, which is like the 400, it's debatable, like 400 to 1K area. And people always say like the song is in that because that's usually where like crappy speakers, any speaker system you're on is going to have that range. But I found over the years that every song has like magic somewhere and it's not always in the mid-range. Sometimes it's a sibilant thing that makes it sound like the vocal is very intimate. Sometimes it's a low-end thing that is, a you know, um, that's exaggerating. Then another section, the mid-range or low-mids that makes the song. And if you take that away, the whole song's gone. So I begin to search within these songs that I really enjoy or the market really enjoys or even if a client gives you a reference song, go listen to that song and play with that song, see what it is on the meters. And this is if you're training your ear, I'll say, um, and your ears are not aware of where things live. But most people I've learned do not have a clue where anything actually lives in a song. They think the vocals, you know, in 700 hertz. Well, really, it's in this song, it's in 3K is really where the tangibility is. Or they think the bass is at 65, really, it's at like 40. There's different things that you can begin to train your ear on to listen, to develop your ear to start to go, oh, in most of pop here, uh, the vocal lives here. Oh, when I'm working on indie folk, the magic is in this 100 hertz warm area. Or, oh, in this genre, CCM, 300 hertz is the devil. It's a curse. It's mud. Like, no one likes 300 hertz in CCM, so scoop that out. There's different genres that have different styles traditionally, and if you start to analyze them, you can start to learn where things actually live. So then when a client sends me a song and I immediately go, okay, this is a pop song, this is a EDM song, this is a rap song, kind of at this stage with the type of music I work on, it's kind of all top 40 pop at this stage, like CCM, country, rap, pop. Almost everybody's using like 808s, trappy snares and hi-hats, and then like a breathy vocal or a, or a crispy vocal. So not every song is the same, but they're all kind of gravitating towards this pop sound we all hear all the time, um, which doesn't mean it's good or bad. But basically when they send me a song, I begin to listen and I begin to think, where is everything at? And where is the quote-unquote magic of the song? So if I take this away, if I take 200 hertz away, does the song fall apart? You know, if I boost here, does the song fall apart? If I boost here, does the song sound great? And I just kind of over the years started to play with frequencies and genres. And it's all really like, I wish I could tell you numbers and make it super easy, but it's based on kind of my workflow and gear. And I think everybody, I'd encourage everyone to figure out in your own workflow, you know, plugins or gear, however you like to work, figure out your sound and how that mixes with the client's vision and then how you eventually cohesively spit that out into a final product, um, which is part of listening. But for me, you know, if I get a song in, I'll listen to it first. I'll pretty much know, okay, they want this to compete in the commercial world. So, you know, in the commercial world for pop, here's where the drums sit. Here's where the vocals sit. Here's kind of how wide it feels or narrow it feels. Here's how the compression feels. And so I kind of have this catalog. And for a long time, I literally had notes in Logic in my template of like, for 24 karat, I have it like broken down on old templates of like the bass is here and the kick is here and the guitars are here and the synths are here and the vocals are here and the air is here actually instead of here. And oh, here's a little scooped hole to clean it all up that if you didn't have that, it'd sound like a muddy mess everywhere. I have notes like that everywhere and I've found that to be very helpful to train my ear on how to listen um, to songs. So when I get a song, I just kind of apply the same mentality of, I listen to it, I see that, okay, they want to compete in the pop world or on Spotify playlists, editorial playlists. Okay, so I know it's got to get probably pretty loud. And when we say loud, it means it's compressed, so it's more loud more often. And then I go through and I kind of see what the song has going on. And it usually, it's so stupid, speaks to me and kind of says like, 
we need more excitement or we need more bottom end or we don't have any mid-range so the song doesn't like leap out of the speakers as it needs to or the song is too bright or it's got too much top end competing so I need to filter off some to make some contrast of top end to actually make it appear even brighter but smoother. So you start to, at least for me, my version is like I have this checklist in my head of where things usually land um, and then I start to apply gear um, and each piece of gear has a sound, which we've talked about in previous episodes, kind of like how to learn what your gear sounds like. I think we've kind of touched on that before. But that's kind of what I do. I get the song. The client usually tells me, hey, this is what we'd like it to sound like, or we're really, we really love the mix. And we've also been using these songs as references. So I'll listen you know, to all that and then kind of make a game plan of where to take it. Um, but really, to me, like the best thing you can do in all of music is learn where things actually are in a song. Like taking the time to listen through records you like and think about what's going on. Is the bass, you could do, you could go so simple, like in a car and just rip out all the top end in a car and listen to your favorite tracks and go, oh, what's down there still? And then rip out all the bass and see what's in the mid to top range. Oh, what's, what lives in these areas? Most people have no idea is what I've learned. And so it's really hard to A, make a record when you don't know where things live because when you're recording things, how do you know what needs to be bassy or mid-range or top-end? And then when you get to mixing, how do you know where to place anything if you don't know where things usually go? And then at mastering, of course, I'm always like, how do you, how do you call a record done if you don't even know what makes up a record? Um, as a mastering engineer, if you're trying to faux master, it's like, there are ways to basically educate yourself, and hopefully this episode helps educate everyone out there and how how to listen, listen better, you know, and apply that to your record making. But you have to put in the work and you have to spend the time of listening and doing. I mean, for me, I enjoy it, but for a lot of people, it's tedious, non-sexy work of like listening to, you know, 300 hertz to 600 hertz of 30 songs that you like and going, here's what lives in these songs all the time. And this is just how I like to work. Matt, I'm sure you're 100% different, most likely, because we're always different, which is great. Um, but that's kind of what I would encourage everybody to do is like, you have to first learn how to listen before you know what to listen for. Because really, if you're just like, well, I'm just listening for the drums, it's like, yeah, but what does that mean? Like, you don't even know where drums live in the, the frequency spectrum. So that's kind of like when a client says like, hey, I really want like the kick and snare to be like, you know, slamming in this master. I usually, you know, the old way of thinking would be like, well, I can't do anything about your kick and snare because it's mastering. I don't have any individual control. Well, the new way of thinking of the last five, six years is, well, that's obviously important to the client. The client is telling me that the kick and snare is important. They're not probably asking me, Sam, turn up the kick and snare. They're just letting me know this is important to them. That goes into listening. It's like listening to your client, which we did a whole episode on listening very early on um, in our podcast. Uh, but that's you know something that I'll listen to when I get the song is go, okay, the kick and snare is really important to them. So let me make sure... I'm making changes or adjustments uh, to make that kick and snare feel even quote unquote better or still intact by the time we get to the loudness we need to for you know a commercial release to compete. So that is my nutshell of how I listen, how to listen, then how I listen. So Matt, I want to hand it off to you because that was my monologue. And I want yeah, you to share... You know, what do you listen for when a song comes in? What do you do? What is your process? <clears throat> Sorry if I'm like sniffling a lot over here. I'm like literally just getting over like a seven day cold. So I'm sure it's annoying during the uh, like hearing me on my end. So I apologize for that. So my process. Um, okay. So I will say that like, I guess I'll start out with like, so when people ask me or they send me a mix and they're like, hey, could I have like notes on how, on how you think this, this mix is going to, um, like, just like, how, like, what, what do you think of this mix? <clears throat> um, 
my first thing I respond back to them is, well, I'm not going to give you good mix notes because um, I'm not like in the hot seat in your studio and I don't really know everything that's going on. However, I can tell you pretty accurately the things that I would pay attention to and am paying attention to as the mastering engineer as it comes in. So if you bring a mix to me, I'm going to be like, okay, well, what's like, like, it's not something that I'm thinking about. It's just like, what is like, what's kind of hitting you with this song? And you're just listening like, all right, what's going on with the intro? What's like, what's his vocal doing? Oh yeah, cool. Vocals sitting pretty well. It's not like super sibilant. And, um, you can kind of tell at least like semi perceive it was done in like a, a like a little bit of an analogy way. And it's like, you don't have like any of that like crazy digital top end or anything. It's like, yeah, I put a lot of air in it. And it's like, well, you just like made it like digitally sizzly and that's not what we're going for. Um, so it's like, you can tell if that's like done pretty good or bad. You can kind of tell like, okay, yeah, like, like the drums definitely like sit back, aren't overpowering anything. I mean, something that kind of gets a little overlooked is like, how's like the like the actual bass guitar sitting because it's like you can have that and you can have the kick um along with like floor tom and whatnot you can kind of have them all melding together and um so it's like how's like how's all the how's all the separation here um is there anything that's like mushing together is there anything that's like too woofy um how are our mids feeling i'm a really big believer in like mids and pretty much like the only thing i do with like my massive passive is I call it like the mid machine. <laughs> and it's like just like two bands that like I really pay attention to uh, with the massive passive. And it's not two frequencies, but like I really only use like the center two bands. Um, I just, and I do like uh, any other EQing elsewhere. Just, I just think it does like just such a darn good job. Um, and so it's like, I'm just kind of like putting the pieces together in my head and I'll just kind of make mental notes. It's like, okay, what does the space feel like? Like, I'll, it de- like depending on the mix, and sometimes it can be pretty obvious about like, okay, well, how was the room that like the drums were being tracked in? And these aren't like things that I'm thinking of like a mental checklist. It's just like if you can, if you just hear a really crappy like drum kit, you're just like, okay, well, it might be the drums, might be the room. Um, if like the top end sounds like super brittle, it's like, okay, well, it could be the rooms, could be the mics that they used or something like that. And it kind of just mentally prepares me for like, okay, well, this is going to be like, if this is an album, it's like, this might be a little bit of a long day. Um, so just kind of like getting yourself known what you're going into. But then you're at the stage where you can kind of provide that feedback of like, hey, yeah, this is what I recommend, but fully knowing that they don't really necessarily owe that to you, but they'll definitely try to do their best um, to like make any edits they can on their end. Um, so let's see. Yeah, I can really only offer notes like from the mastering perspective of, as opposed to like, oh yeah, with the vocal you did this. Well, what if you tried to do this? It's like, no, I'm not going to do that because that's not the type of like like situation that I run. Um, like if, if anything, it's like I'm more looking at this. I feel like people think of a mastering engineer as like some person in a lab coat who's like heavily analyzing like every single thing and like little tiny changes on the EQ or something and that might be the case um, I've gotten a bit away from that in recent times I'm not saying I'm fully on board the boat that Sam is on of boosting your problems away <laughs> but I mean I do believe in attenuation uh, negatively to a degree and uh, if I, if something if uh, something does need cut, I probably won't boost until it goes away. <laughs> but um, Sam has a beautiful way of doing what he does, so I do not at all <laughs> suggest you change. <laughs> so um, I, I'm more sitting from like a hundred like thousand foot level of like what's the balance of this mix? Like, is there anything that I can offer this record? Um, like when I listen to it, I'm not like, oh, what all can I do to this? It's like if we were to like obviously bring this up to level, if we were to like kind of do anything, like what would that be? Is it like really snappy and not in a good way to where it's like, I don't know, maybe on the very mute you want like like maybe I want to test out like a late squeeze. So 
something that doesn't have like a super fast attack, but like as like the and not like a super fast release either either. And the like I mean the Verami is like so dang slow that it's like this this thing is like literally like molasses. <laughs> so like reincarnate. So it's like maybe you have it so that like on the release down, it's not completely released by the time the next slap comes back in. And so you kind of have like a really like like a slow kind of a squeeze that like never really like lets off the trigger. So you don't really sense any pumping or anything. And I'm not talking anything big. I mean, this might be like a quarter DB or something like that. But I don't know. It's like different strokes for different folks. And so it's just all like, like where does this need to go in order for it to like hit distribution in like a really good way? And I'm not trying to like sit here and like throw every piece of gear at the book on it. But I mean, if somebody's saying like, hey, I really like, Casey Musgrave's last album and it's kind of like okay well where like she has a very specific vocal placement I feel like mm-hmm. um, in that album and I feel like a lot of people kind of like that and gravitate towards that it's like a really chill mellow album and uh, is this record capable of going there I mean that's like kind of like first like okay well let's at least set my expectations for like what and where we're going to be able to go. And it's like someone says, like, yeah, I like kind of like the great Casey Musgraves vibe. I really like blue silk, like whenever I like on the Neve for whenever I like hear that. Like, let's make sure the vocal's present, but like also let's make sure that like it's not like too crazy, like forward in the mix. Because while her vocal is there, it's not like there's not other things creeping around it, but um it's not like as far out as like it would be in like a normal, like country uh like record whatnot Mm -hmm. um if someone's saying and i I get like a lot of casey musgraves like uh references a lot of like chris stapleton uh and some of the things that are interesting is like yeah somebody might like chris stapleton but there was a creative decision that was obvious obviously made um at the mixing and mastering stage that like None of his stuff is super loud, but it is really freaking awesome. And it just they're just like some of like the most fun records, at least like that in 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 my opinion. And like nothing is really slammed in it. There's like really like like conservative levels in there. And uh I don't necessarily go into the discussion with people because normally they'll have like more than one person listed. And if they have a single that's already out that's like on the album or something like that, say that I didn't do, but they're coming to me for the album and that single is absolutely slammed and they want their album to kind of hang there. It's like, okay, well, you want the Chris Stapleton tone. You don't want the like, you don't want like the lower level and stuff. So you kind of have to like interpret to a degree what Sam is kind of like already doing over on his corner. So he has his like little like mental presets of like, if somebody says X, then this means that this is kind of like the way that we're going to shape some things. And um, and I agree with that for the most part. Um, you, But also, once again, it's like all like managing expectations and seeing like where you can do things and like how you can do things. Uh, a good quote, it was either Bob Ludwig or Bob Katz, one of the Bobs. Um, they said like a mastering engineer can really only improve a mix by one letter grade. So if you have a C... Uh, mix, you might be able to get to a B. If you have an A, and it's like, we might be able to do like an A+. plus. If you have an A+, plus and like levels there and everything else, it's like, maybe we just like take it up a little bit and sign off on it and be like, this is all it needs. Other cases, it's like, I've never had the instance to where I've uh, told somebody, you don't need a mastering engineer. Um, but it's like, I'm totally prepared that if I hear something that is perfect, uh, in in my opinion... Um, then I'll be like, hey, I I think this is ready to go. And I have no problem doing that and kind of not necessarily turning down the work or whatever. I don't know what to do. And do you still build that situation for that opinion? Be like, I don't know. This is like just like an email back and forth. Um, I'm not sure what to do in that situation. Um, but in general, it's like what I listen for. I listen for balance. I listen for for cohesiveness. As far as fixing stuff, it's like with the low end, if they're wanting something to like absolutely thump and you know for a fact that the producer and the mix engineer aren't like doing their thing with a sub and you have sub information mixing 
or I'm sorry, like like at the mastering level, then it's like you're just not going to get it. And like, there's no reason that you should be trying to overprocess on your end to try to make up for like where they think it's going. And it's like, there's many times that I kind of have to reassure myself. It's like, listen, man, like this is a client approved mix. Like those are very, like three very important words, a client approved mix. If the client likes it and that's what they're listening to, then this is what we're going off of. Unless something is just like super out of line or something's kind of weird or there's like some weird like buzzing from like a tube and a microphone or something. It's like, you need to like question that. But besides that, for the most part, these are client-approved mixes, and I'm not going to try to make something out of something that's not there. Um, I mean, if the top end is harsh, I have like several tricks that like I know that I, that are like uh, deal makers, and we can we can get something sounding pretty darn good. Um, some stuff like when I'm listening, I'm like, man, this thing needs a bit more movement, and so I might actually just take out a tape machine. And I might not do anything level-wise, and I might completely level match it, but I may turn it from, like, say it's normally at, like, uh, 7.5 ips, and you just turn it to 15. Or maybe you turn it to 30. And you're going to get a little bit more harmonic movement that wasn't there. Um, So these are all just, like, little tiny creative decisions that you can do. And so, like, even going forward, it's like, this sounds kind of scooped. Am I going to be able to bring these mids back? Or the vocal range sounds kind of scooped. I bet their room has like a bit of a peak after 1K. And they're probably just mixing to compensate for this. Um, this sounds muddy. Okay, well, that one's easy. Um, I think the most important part through all of this, and I, I mean, I think like you, you kind of laughed and you said it kind of like, like, oh, I don't really know if I want to say this, but like the song, like it really does speak to you and right. it really does tell you where it wants to go and what it wants to do. And like, to me, it's like everyone like views it differently. Like whether you like kind of like think of it, mastering is like, like painting. Like I, I, for some reason always view it as like, like someone gives me a mix and it's kind of, and I essentially look at it like a puzzle and it's a, it's an assembled puzzle. Um, and depending on how far off we are from where this needs to go is essentially how many puzzle pieces are missing (laughs) and how many pieces I can either hopefully not have to manufacture but can kind of just fit into place perhaps like a little bit better. Um, And I mean that with like the absolute most respect, but I just kind of view it as a puzzle and it's like, okay, well, let's just kind of straighten up the pieces just a little bit. And... um, so, and like puzzles, all puzzles look different and different size pieces and whatnot. And um, some are more complex and, I mean, some are absolutely put together perfect. So uh, I think the most important part out of all of this, though, um, like when you're like getting into all this and it's kind of kind of taking off of a quote... I'm kind of doing like another monologue, Sam. Go, so that's fine. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna be done soon because I gotta <laughs> <laughs> I got like ten minutes and I gotta go. So I, I think the most important part and from like taking off of a quote as far as like let's just call it like maturity is that like say maturity isn't really what you like do in life. More oftentimes than not, maturity is what you don't do. And I've kind of like I don't know how long ago I heard that, but it's uh, it's kind of rang true a lot. And so whether that's like, you know, maybe it's something you don't say as opposed to something you would have said a long time ago, or whether it's something you would have done in like a like a past life, and you're just kind of at a different season. It was like, you know what? There, I'm not really willing to die on this hill. So this isn't the war I'm really willing to fight. And so taking that kind of into mastering is like you really need to know your limitations and it's like if like like even from the beginning like is somebody setting you up for success like is your client setting you up for success mm-hmm. or are they planning on you like are they, are they just kind of like handing you their shoes in the middle of a race and be like <laughs> alright finish this for me and it's like you got like they only ran one mile of a marathon and it's like well crap man and so it's like you kind of have to know your own personal limitations and if you're being set up for success. So, 
And it's like where you can push something. And then just having like very honest dialogues with like your clients and like whoever your main contact is. So I wasn't really planning on talking this long. No, that's great. So I don't I, I don't really know if I forgot something, but um that's kind of how I listen and that's kind of like my like mental process of things. And I think I covered what I wanted to talk about, but I'll figure that out when I'm reviewing this episode mowing my grass and like <laughs> this weekend or something. So what else do you have? No, I'm good. I saw you sent me a, a text. I don't know if that was about like... Oh, I was just telling you <laughs> I wanted you to explain everything you wanted to. Because okay. we're good on time. Well, I think I, <laughs> I, think I did. The, the telekinesis was definitely uh, high broad, broadband <laughs> or bandwidth, whatever it's called. So... So you're all you're, you're all good. I'm good. I got out my we got it out my long monologue. Well, yeah, yours was like yours is just like it's a like, skip in the park compared to what I'm kind of staring at. <laughs> so it's all good. All right. So um, if y'all have any questions about like what we just said or went over, or you think we missed something, um, feel free to reach out to us. We respond pretty well on our personal Instagrams. Um, I don't know why we really have <laughs> a podcast Instagram. Like, I'll go on there every now and then if, like, uh, it was I don't a know, fun just kind of see what's all you going know? on. It was a fun idea. It was a fun idea, but it's like, we got, like, other stuff to do. Like, we record, we take two hours out of the week, and we'll record an episode. And the first hour of this, the hour, first hour and 15 minutes of Sam and I just talking about stuff. And then, uh, yeah, the last 52 minutes is, yeah, the podcast. So... <laughs> <laughs> if uh, if y'all have any questions about anything, just like shoot us a personal like DM. Sam can be found at Moses Mastering. I can be found at For the Record Mastering. Um, so we love chatting, as Sam said in housekeeping. Well, we try to keep up as much as we can with our community. Who reach out and just loves to engage. So we like to engage as well. Um, but yeah, if you like what you heard, if you can. Drop us a like, a follow, subscribe to the podcast. Um, comments are always uh, really appreciated. Some stars, thumbs up, wherever you are. And uh, yeah, the beat in the background is from beesabeats.com from the one and only Sam Moses. I'm sure it's freaking bumping <laughs> as always. And yeah, I think that's all we got. Woohoo! Anything else for the people? Thank you, everyone, for listening. Appreciate y'all. <laughs> There you go. So anywho, morning, afternoon, even, whatever y'all are having, have a darn good one. We'll catch you on the next episode. Cue the music. Yeah, right. <laughs>